Welcome to BIV Today, the business podcast each weekday from the Business in Vancouver Newsroom. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. We are, of course, a trading nation, and this city is home to the port that delivers and receives nearly half of the country's goods to and from the world. But we're also susceptible to damage when our two trading partners, our two largest ones anyway, America and China, feud and destabilize the system of trade. And other countries also offer a mix of opportunity but risk, and it's the role of the country's export development, Canada, to assess those and determine if and how to help business. Last week, I spoke with Mary Levery. She's the recently appointed president of the EDC. And one disclosure on this, our conversation preceded an investigative piece by the Globe and Mail on Saturday that took issue with some of EDC's practices. The context of our discussion was quite different, so the line of questioning will be lacking any references to that investigation. That being said, here's our discussion. Thank you, Kirk. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, listen, uh, start us out with with a bit of a big picture look at our export situation where what are our biggest relationships what's growing what's diminishing give us that you know view from 5000 feet if you can to start absolutely kirk so no surprise our biggest relationship uh, remains the united states it always has been our largest trading partner and remains so we have a very important trading block with the european countries and of course, that's accentuated now by CETA, the uh, Comprehensive European Economic um, Trade Agreement, which uh, actually facilitates trade with Europe. Then you start to look to countries uh, like the United Kingdom, China, etc. The countries that you would traditionally hear are, are the largest uh, exports for Canada. But as you mentioned in your introduction, it is quite different for British Columbia. It is a much more diversified trading province. The mix of the countries which are the largest trading partners for British Columbia include Japan, South Korea, and India. And we don't see that in other provinces across Canada. Yeah. Is it, um, is it largely pegged geographically, Marie, where, where we trade? Or, or is there something else about the British Columbia trade situation that transcends the sheer geography? Um, yeah, tra- I, I think location, geographic location is, of course, uh, probably the biggest single factor. But I would suggest it's also cultural, um, just the, the makeup of the community and the diversity of the community in British Columbia would lead to much stronger relations with uh, the Asian nations themselves. And then even the nature of some of the products that uh, British Columbia is trading in. Like I see a much greater preponderance for technology type products, including uh, the last time I was in Vancouver, I was meeting biotech companies. Yeah. You know, and of course that's the, the home of the digital super cluster. So we, we do see some different products where when you come out east and particularly into Ontario and Quebec, you see much more the heart of the traditional manufacturing products uh, that would be exported. And of course, they have a different logistics pattern to get them to market. Um, so I think British Columbia, you see the, the businesses orienting them around themselves, around services and around other products that can be more easily exported to markets that are known very well to British Columbia consumers because they're from uh, of an Asian background. Do, do you, in, in your own mind, in, in, in the evaluation that you have um, in, in your role as, as president at EDC, do, do you look at the world and go, there's a really untapped market over here? 
What, what, what do we have to do over here to get this going? Yeah, absolutely. I have my teams doing research on this all the time. And our research would say that um, when we look at Canadian exporters today, their first market is absolutely the United States. It's very traditional. Mm -hmm. It's where they feel the most comfort and confidence in exporting to. And oftentimes they don't even think of the U.S. as an export market. It's just no. where they've done business for many times. Um, but then when we look to step two and where do, com where do companies go next, they tend to go to countries that have a free trade agreement. So again, you're starting to get this sense of confidence. It's where exporters have confidence to go to. So countries that have free trade agreements have, have clear rules of trading between the countries and therefore give more confidence to our exporters. So where do I see untapped potential? It is where we have either new free trade agreements uh, like the uh, CPTPP, where you start to bring in some of those specific RIM nations yeah. or other countries where, in fact, we don't have uh, trade agreements today. And of course, I, I do think distance card plays a role. You know, we do see companies feeling more comfortable uh, going to Europe, which is perhaps not as uh difficult to access geographically or even South America as well from that perspective versus heading to the ASEAN countries, for example, or Africa. Africa, yeah. of course, a, a, growing, a growing set of 54 countries, but uh, very challenging to get Canadian companies to think of how would you export to Africa. Yeah, I, I even want to pick up on that. I, I had to uh, moderate a conference this week on Canada-Africa uh, trade and uh, and and it, it, the conclusion was that Canada and for that matter the United States are just not in that game and um, and that China actually is is very much in that game uh, really trying to to uh, do a fair amount of dominance in that market around trade but what is it about you think the the continent that is still um, a question mark for a lot of Canadian exporters is it is it the state of the democracies there or is it the is it you know the the, you know, the some of the complicated business arrangements that you have to have that are quite risky what what do you think is is still holding us back from really engineering a, a, because it is a, a fast growing continent yeah i think there's a number of factors one is just sheer size and you know many people refer to africa as if it is a country like it's made up of a number of countries within it. And there are very distinct differences between South Africa and West Africa, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, then proximity and just the opportunity to access those markets and access those markets easily. I think the third thing is to access markets from which you are geographically remote and perhaps not understanding um the local cultures and, and demands of the population and your consumer, not understanding your local consumer very well, you tend to need partners. And again, that's another um, more risk-involved move of who do you partner with to access those markets. Uh, and then, you know, again, sheer scale. So what you do find Canadian companies are interested in Africa, it's our larger companies, it's our companies that are involved in natural resources, um, involved in transportation and involved in some of the very big infrastructure activities versus perhaps the smaller companies 
who don't have the capacity to actually handle um, items like you suggest, which is what are the local business practices? There are concerns about how business is done in those countries. So I think scale of our Canadian companies is also one of the, the factors. And when you look at the makeup of the population of Canadian companies, the bulk of Canadian companies are small and medium owned. They're not large companies. Yeah. And and that's something that we have to try and help do is build these companies to have scale so that they can access these very large markets of consumers. Is, is there a generalized way of, of talking about um, the culture of Canadian exporters? Are, are we... Are we risk averse? Are we conservative in our in our practices? How 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 do you perceive us? Yeah, I, I think we are conservative, and I very much like Kirk that you use that word rather than risk averse. I I talk to a lot of people, and you know I've had the the benefit in my background of um, of working with my husband who owned his own small business, and I can tell you, entrepreneurs are not risk averse. They face challenges every day, and they take risks of many different shapes, fashions, and forms every day as they build out their businesses. But I think they are more conservative. They take longer to assess the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, and today they're very challenged with many of, they run out of capacity. They're challenged by all the things that they have to get to, like regulations. How do they de-risk their business? Therefore, sometimes the, um, the easy thing to do is to trade more locally. It is to do it with the partner. I'm one of the largest uh, consumer markets, which is just to the south of us. So taking that next step is a, is a big step to actually build the infrastructure to be able to need to go to some of these countries like Africa. So it's a step change, a step function. Yeah. So, so I never refer to it as um, being risk averse, but as thoughtful and conservative and uh, my job is to actually help them to uh, to lower that step and actually to help companies make it more easily by de-risking it for them yeah i mean mean, obviously you're there to encourage does i'm wondering though uh, do you feel that our conservatism as a as a country in the way that we wish to to trade and, and export in particular in your case that it holds us back yeah, I think we should be we're, we should be very proud and very proud to celebrate what we have done um, as a trading nation and, and actually take that out to other markets around the world. There are consumers who are very interested in Canadian branded goods and services and very open to um, entertain Canadian suppliers of those goods and services. So, yes, I, I absolutely want to encourage Canadian companies to be able to do that and to take that next step. And And I've been talking to them around understanding that as we continue to build free trade agreements and open up that access to a larger number of consumers, recognizing that our own domestic market is not that large, that it's a two-way trade model. So as free trade agreements open up opportunities, it also means Canada is a market that becomes even more attractive for foreign companies to sell to us. So I, I'm, I'm really encouraging Canadian companies to see exporting as a way to grow their own companies, that it is a source of growth. And also 
to, to protect what they have already built because they will face increasing competition and they should be proud of their products and services. They, they have the ability to take them on the world stage. Uh, mm-hmm. And my job is to give them the confidence and tools to do that. Yeah, part of what, of course, EDC does is it, it provides risk assessment and and then tools to to work, at least mitigate some of those risks. And I thought we could spend a bit of time now uh, talking about three principal ones. And and uh, our listeners can obviously hear uh, in your voice um, uh, the Belfast background. Um, <laughs> talk about Brexit and and what is going on there, and and what this is done is doing in terms of the the you know the the character of our concerns in this country around exporting yeah so let me yes you're absolutely right uh, despite 19 years away from the uk i still have the accent from belfast um but let me explain brexit and i'll start a little bit um up a level from that what brexit is fundamentally doing is creating uncertainty and this is exactly what exporters do not need which is uncertainty like exporters want to be sure of the rules of trade they want to understand what risks that they could face and not just for the next month or the next contract because often they're investing to build capacity to service a new market and therefore these are very long-term investment decisions so what they want is certainty over that period a situation like Brexit destroys that certainty. It actually takes away their confidence to make a longer-term investment, either here at home to build their capacity or to perhaps even um, enter a new market and invest in that market and build capacity there. So it, it's, it is quite destabilizing. It's the similar example of when we go through renegotiations of free trade agreements, yeah. of course, one which we're hoping that will be ratified soon. It just creates what I call investment hesitation. And, uh, you know, that is not uh, that is not helpful. And it's not helpful to the consumer and it's not helpful to the economy in general. Yeah. Then let's let's then turn to the, you know, the, the neighbor to the south and uh, you're quite right. We're we're trying to get uh, the new the new NAFTA uh, ratified somehow uh, in the time that that's left here um, before an election is, and yet uh, you know we're dealing with um, with a leadership there that can uh, seems that you know as soon as a smartphone gets turned on and 280 characters later you can have a very different picture about what you know your your trading relationship is going to be with America. Um, what what are businesses saying about that landscape at the moment? What are they telling you? Yeah, what businesses are telling me is they want to see the deal ratified. It creates uh, it creates certainty for them, so they're very much advocating for ratification of the deal. It gives them that certainty that they want to see. You know, when you reflect back on the recent negotiations, it's been exactly that. I think. You know, in today's environment and, and, and with social media, negotiations play out uh, hour by hour or even minute by minute or tweet by tweet, as you mentioned, Kirk. Um, and, and that's not something that we've been used to or familiar with, you know, in our, in our more recent past of creating no, free no. trade agreements. So, so everyone reacts very rapidly, yet it is a negotiation. There's always, you know, a put and a take and, 
you know, it's going to work out. So when you look at the, the final CUSMA agreement and understand what perhaps the positioning was as to what had to change in NAFTA versus where we've ended up with an updated agreement with um, a negotiated position on many of the very um, dramatic statements were made, that were made about what was wrong with NAFTA. It's actually a very strong updated agreement. And, and despite all the ups and downs of the negotiation, we have got something tabled. So I certainly would like to see it uh, ratified for the sake of providing certainty to our exporters. Yeah. I, and yet, if if I were in Mexico uh, and and having you know trying to get the deal ratified there too, and then I, I wake up one day and President of the United States declares new tariffs on the basis of a whole other issue, um, immigration. Uh, I mean, are we are we just going to have to deal with the new normal of of a kind of a destabilizing situation? Well, I wish um, my chief economist was here because he keeps telling us there's no such thing as a new normal. It's just the <laughs> situations that we have to deal with um, every day. And we can, of course, uh, look to history. You know, as I said, um, we react we react very quickly to the various activities that have happened to the south of our border. Fundamentally, there is a U.S. consumer who is very interested in Canadian goods and services. There are very deep, deep economic ties between the U.S. and Canada. And, um, you know, that those trades are trades that will continue. And as we continue to see the world shrink, both in terms of our understanding of it and our ability to access it, you know, these challenges will come. But, um, mm, yeah. you know, trade will continue and... In a couple of years, we'll, or perhaps it's even tomorrow morning when we turn on our phones, we'll all be on to some new news. <laughs> the last uh, last area, and of course, uh, in this part of the country, we have, I think, a, a much more dedicated relationship with China, uh, certainly with Asia, but, but definitely with China. Uh, again, what what signs from China? Are uh, are there for us to understand right now, and in, in the kind of trade relationship it wishes with this country? And we, what are you again? What are you telling businesses, and what are businesses telling you? Yeah, so businesses are telling me they continue to be interested in the opportunities that the Canadian, mar- or, sorry, the Chinese market presents to them. They think there are opportunities for Canadian companies to trade in China. We've had examples. Um, of very positive uh, developments with individual companies working with their individual Chinese counterparts. You know, the opening of quite uh, branded Canadian stores in China, again, appealing to the Chinese consumer. You know, I think the the wonderful thing, Kirk, is that as much as we always have political situations going on in our world, that trade is something that has always been the great relationship builder between countries. There is a buyer, a seller, a relationship needs to be struck. There's a company, there's a consumer. And, and fundamentally, um, you know, they will continue to behave in a way that, um, that speaks to the quality of the good or service that they are receiving versus perhaps political situations of the day, which will ebb and flow. 
Yeah. So in a lot of ways, the message for business is uh, understand the risks, but don't necessarily think that that you know, the that the political noise is going to necessarily contaminate the business environment. It 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 will contaminate probably in the short term. Trade is always a long term play. Absolutely, do your due diligence. Look at the risks that you're taking. Think of the long term and go seek out partners like EDC who can help you de-risk that, or who may have more information like our trade commissioner services who are on the ground in China. So I always encourage um, our exporters to reach out and see the entities that can actually help them more fully understand the situation and help them de-risk what is a very important uh, investment decision for them or business decision for them. Is it, um, is it correct, though, to, to assume that we're kind of caught between these two great powers of our time and until they solve some of their own uh, issues, we're not going to see the kind of stable climate that we might wish? Yeah, absolutely, Kirk. I mean, it is a very volatile world trading climate today. And in fact, we see that uh, every day with where share prices move and the markets move every day on the reaction to certain news. So yeah, I think you're, you're right to say it's a more volatile environment than we have experienced before. And yet again, going back to the start of this discussion, even more reason why diversification matters. Because if you're only working with those two partners, that is a much more difficult trading situation than if perhaps you had diversified your risk and had brought in other Asian countries, European countries as potential export destinations for you. So great argument for diversification. And, and last point to you then, when you look overall at, at our country's picture as a, as a trading nation, and in your particular case as an exporting uh, nation, uh, is the balance about right? Would, would you think that there ought to be more chips on one part of the table? Um, so, so maybe I, I'm not quite sure I understand, Kirk, but I'll answer as I see it. Um, I think there are more opportunities for Canadian companies to be exporting. I think the companies that are exporting to a single country today could be exporting to more than one country, and that would diversify their risk. I think there are companies that w within Canada that have very high-quality goods and services that should be exported and would be very much welcomed in specific countries of the world. I think there are supply chains and companies within our country that are supplying goods to large Canadian companies that are subsequently exporting that they don't realize they're an indirect exporter. So from my perspective, is the balance correct today? No, I think we can be doing more. Yeah, well, and I think you inferred the question very well. So thank you. I want to thank you for your time today. It's been wonderful to talk to you and um, best wishes when you get out here. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it, Kirk. All right. Marie Levery is the uh, president of EDC. You've been listening to BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening. 